building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group. Just text the two words, Promise Keepers, to 31996. Every week you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to 31996. Welcome to this special presentation of the Promise Keepers Couples Marriage Session, filled with practical advice and real authentic stories from other married couples. Our speakers today include Dr. Gary and Barb Rosberg, Dr. Johnny Parker and wife Leslin Parker, Corwin and Kim Anthony, Brian and Melissa Chu of Now Hope, Dave and Ann Wilson of Family Life, Dan Seaborn, and many other guest appearances. If you're new to Promise Keepers, this event is part of the Promise Keepers Marriage Challenge. The challenge is a three-week experience for building habits and practices to renew your marriage for life. Learn more at promisekeepers.org marriage. Now, on to today's show. Hey, this is Ken and Elliot Harrison. Welcome to the Promise Keepers Couples Summit. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for working so hard on your marriages to get to this point. And thank you, wives, for joining your husbands or your fiance or your boyfriend. This is such an important thing for us to grow as men and husbands, to have our wives and girlfriends behind us, to push us to be the men that God wants us to be. You know, when Coach Bill McCartney launched Promise Keepers, he did so with a great amount of help from Focus on the Family and Dr. James Dobson. Those guys had such great chemistry and so many great radio shows that literally the phone banks lighted up with women buying tickets for their husbands at the first sold out Promise Keepers event in Boulder, Colorado, because so many women bought tickets to send their husbands to the event. The fact of it is all of us need coaching and all of us need training. And even men, we need training and coaching and discipling and how to be men. And we need training and coaching and discipling and how to be husbands. So women, thank you so much for joining this. And uh, Elliot wants to pray for us all right now and pray that you get so much out of this uh, summit that you're about to watch. Father God, we just thank you for loving us. We thank you that you are the perfect example of what love looks like. Lord, I pray for every man and every woman who is watching this PK Marriage Summit today. I pray that they will step out in faith and trust you for a miracle for their marriages. I pray that they will believe that things can be different. And Lord, that they will grow closer not only to you, but closer to each other. Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient and that it is in our weakness that your power is made perfect. We praise your holy name. In your precious and holy name, we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, Ken and Elliot, for kicking off this marriage seminar with Promise Keepers. We are so grateful for you as the chairman of the board of PK. My name is Dr. Gary Rosberg, and I'm going to be joined in a few minutes by my bride, Barb, and we are America's Family Coaches, but today, more importantly, we are your marriage coaches. And during this program, you guys, you're gonna hear from the best of the best, some of the most fantastic communicators, husbands and wives, coach you and encourage you on strengthening your marriage. And first of all, I wanna say something to the couples that are joining us. We are so proud 
of you. Thank you for carving out the time and hopefully getting rid of the kids so you can really concentrate and turning down the technology and any of the distractions so that this can be a date night, a date morning, a date afternoon just for the two of you. Now let's catch up a little bit. Uh, on January 23rd, we had the launch to this virtual marriage summit and it was fantastic. And believe it or not, we've had about 100,000 guys saddle up and sign up for that and participate. That is incredible. And then for the next three weeks, we had the challenge and we've had 10,000 different men sign up for that and participate. And so you've seen videos and you've uh, been given some resources and you've been coached and, and you've been given some prayer support. And it's been awesome for that three weeks to keep that continuity of care and serving you. And we love doing that. And today is the bookend where we're gonna be joined with our spouses. And guys, we're so grateful that your wife or your significant other is sitting next to you right now. And uh, you may be a, a newlywed, you may be in a subsequent marriage, you may be a more mature couple, um, you may be in any number of different situations, but we're so grateful that you're here and we're so proud of you. And one of the cool things is that uh, this has all been free. And I know the wives like that because that saves a little bit more cha-ching for her and for guys for us to spend on our sweethearts. Now, here's what I want you to do today. I want you to take notes. So grab some paper or get your device and uh, Barbara and I are going to join you intermittently throughout this program uh, to kind of uh, just do some heart checks with you to encourage you along the way. But jot down some things that you want to remember, some things that you want to work on. Now, we know some of you are coming into this and you know what? You're limping. It's been a hard season for you and you're experiencing some pain. Others are coming out of pain and you're going to look back in the rearview mirror and remember not too long ago where you experienced some stuff. And some of you have the truth were to be known, you're going in to a tough season. And as we coach you, we're not doing it from big, tall platforms. We're doing it, guys, with great humility. Uh, we've been through it. Uh, Barb and I have been married almost 46 years. It's remarkable. And she's only 29. So you can do the math on how that thing works out. But I remember back in the 80s, I was finishing my doctorate. I was working full time. We had these two little girls who were five and two. And I just wasn't around much. Barb was essentially single parenting. It was a tough season for the Rosbergs. And I'm finishing my doctorate degree in Christian counseling. So you can see the hypocrisy of this. And our older daughter came to me one day and she had a piece of paper rolled up like this with a little yellow yarn around it. And she said, Daddy, can I show you a picture of our family? And I said, well, sure, sweetheart. And so she opens the picture and she describes it. And across the top, it said, our family best. And then there's a picture of Barb and there's a picture of our dog, uh, Katie, and there's Sarah, the little five-year-old, and Missy, the little two-year-old. And I said, it's a great picture. I said, Daddy's gonna hang this up on the fridge, and when I come home at night, I'll look at it after I get done helping all those people. And I went back to studying, and a few minutes goes by, and something begins to dawn on me. And the issue is that I'm not in the picture. And so I asked Sarah, come back and tell me about that picture again. And I said, honey, there's you, and there's, there's mom, and there's Missy, where's your dad? And she said, Dad, you're at the library studying. And you guys, that was in 1983, and I got chill bumps right now. And I didn't know what to do, so I shut down. I got angry at my wife. I withdrew. I pulled away. And for the next two years, I was so convicted by the Holy Spirit, and, and I just served my way home. I play Candyland with Missy. I can beat any guy watching this at Candyland. I hate Candyland, <laughs> but I played it over and over and little walks with Sarah and date nights with Barb. But two years later, Sarah, who now has seven kids, I drew a picture of our family and put me in the middle of it. 
And that hangs in my study 20 feet from me where I every day see it when I'm writing or speaking or helping other people and coaching. You know what, you guys, we're no different than you. It is hard. And that's why Barb and I, and more importantly, the team at Promise Keepers is so proud of you that you're stepping up and you're stepping in to work on your marriages. And we're here to coach you along the way. Now, here's the deal. If you missed that January 23rd, two-hour launch just for the guys, go back and watch it. If you missed the challenge, you can still go back and watch it. And we just want you to know that we're with you. We're going to love on you. We're going to cheer you on. Today is a great program to strengthen your marriage. And we're going to come alongside of you a couple times throughout this deal so that we can just remind you of those takeaways and encourage you along the way. Now get prepared for a highlight reel to bring some of us back. And then you're going to hear from Dan Seaborn. And he leads winning at home. And he's going to kick it off for us today. Welcome to the Promise Keepers Virtual Marriage Summit. men divorce their wives? No. Do covenant men addict themselves to internet porn? No. Are covenant men real men? Yes. Have we made mistakes in our life? Yes. Do we need God to forgive us? Yes. If you ask God to forgive you something and he does and you don't forgive yourself, you've made yourself greater than God. He said it's good I made the sun, good I made stars, good I made water, but it is not good that man should be alone. And yet he wasn't alone. God was there. He said, no, no, no. I'm here, but I need to have something just like you, but different. Something you're going to need and long for and desire. Something you're going to not be able to live without. And yet, it's going to drive you crazy. And God goes, oh, that's what I'll do. I'll design a man and a woman to stay married for life, and I'll give them, oh, then the kids growing up in that house, they'll be like, oh, this is like heaven. Would you say that your home, as you look at it, would you say it's more like heaven or more like hell? You got an investment at home, brother. Invest in your own wife. Take some time and spend with her. Eat right with her. Buy the right things for her. And then stand back and whistle at her. Say, hey, hey, girl, you got it going on. Can she trust you that when there is a burden on her heart, that you are there searching it out, saying, I want to talk to you. See, guys, every guy in here, we got to figure out where does our wife need us to trust her. What do you mean you can't stay married and you've only been married 10 years? You haven't been married long enough to even get to know the full name of the person you're married to yet. It takes a lifetime to get a marriage right. Well, it's always, always my joy, my pleasure to be able to hang out with all you guys from PK. And today, I know many of you have your wives being part of the PK Marriage Summit. And I want to just kick it off by saying during the course of this time together, you're going to hear from a bunch of experts who are going to share a lot about marriage. I'm not one of them. I'm just Dan. And I'm here to talk to you about some simple foundational things that I've discovered in my own life. Just, just finished writing this little book called Marriage on Purpose. Those words are very intentional. For years, 
I think I taught things wrong. I, I just got to straight up, maybe even spoke at a PK in the past and you saw me speak and I want to just tell you, some of the stuff I said, I, I want to I tell you, I have some new thoughts and insights about those things. So as a couple watching me right now, when you got married, did you think you were marrying your soulmate? Did you say to yourself, oh, now, all these things I've always wondered about, this is going to fix it. And that didn't happen. In fact, I would say, as I talk at churches, as I talk at corporations, as I talk at events, many people tell me, I, I thought I was going to marry somebody who understood me, but I didn't get that. In fact, we say, I married my soulmate. And so many, even in the church, will not even talk about that because they didn't get that, but they feel weird and guilty, and I'm afraid if I say it, am I hurting their feelings? Let me, let me just tell you something. The Bible never says you're going to have a soulmate. The Bible says you're going to have a helpmate. When God created Eve, he said to Adam, and this is a helpmate. There's a big difference between a helpmate and a soulmate. A helpmate means someone is going to walk alongside me, uh, help me work on my flaws, maybe even point out my flaws, maybe even flaws in their life that I have to help them work with. Soulmate, soulmate sounds more like no issues. Just always going to understand each other. It's going to be roses. Everything's beautiful. How many of y'all got that? I don't. And I would tell you that understanding marriage is far more about saying, God, what do you want to teach me in this scenario? In fact, I've made the statement recently that some of the most difficult marriages are the places where people have an opportunity to know Christ in depths and in ways that are unbelievable. Now, I don't want you to have that. I'm not saying, hey, hope you have a bad marriage. That's not what I'm after. But what's God trying to teach you in the one you're in? And so often, we spend a lot of our time. I sure did. I spent years trying to fix Jane. And you know what I did? I made her feel inadequate. I made her feel like she wasn't enough. I was always saying, why don't you do this for me? And why don't you do it this way? And why don't you ever think about this for me and take care of that for me? Do you, do you understand what she's hearing? I'm not enough. And too often, hey guys, too often we make our wives feel that way. Maybe your wife's sitting by you right now going, please listen to that guy because he's nailing it. He's nailing it for me. I feel like I'm not enough for you. I don't feel like I can ever please you. I don't feel like I can take care of you. And I want to just confirm today, she can't. She's not Jesus. She's your wife. She's your helpmate. She's coming alongside you as best she can. Be patient, kind, loving with each other. That's what builds a marriage and makes it purposeful. Sometimes it's the very things that have not been fulfilled in my life by my wife, Jane, that's helped me grow deeper. I've discovered that over time. Used to, it just made me angry. Now I go, this is an opportunity for me to get closer to the Lord. And I'm pushing into that. And that's why I wrote Marriage on Purpose, because I want you to see that God intends for this thing to take you to the next level with Him. That's what you're going to hear, dear. All during this session, all of us are going to be talking to you about ways to grow deeper in Christ. Because listen, in the society we're in right now, the chaos, the uncertainty, all the things we're facing, you know what we're looking for? Foundational truths. And I believe if you can get this one, if you can see that whatever you're facing in your marriage, in your life, is designed to draw you more intimately into the Lord, you're going to win. I've actually been thinking about what I really need. Because see, in marriage, we go, here's my needs. I want to tell you that I've come down to a couple things I need in life. I need food and water, and I need Jesus. And I mean, if you cut right down to the basics, 
That's it. So the blessing I have of a wife <laughs> is something that's to add to that. God could have just said, food and water, me. There you go, Dan. But he didn't. He gave me a relationship. And in that relationship, I can choose to grow deeper if I want to. That's the thought that I leave with you today. And during the course of this whole time together, I have some rapid fire questions. You'll see those coming at you very soon. But our goal in this PK Marriage Summit is to draw you closer to Christ. Let's take those steps. You'll discover what it really means to become one in Christ. It's fascinating, honey, to think of marriage as a story and that every marriage is telling a story. And certainly our marriage, um, in our 32 years, this being our 32nd year, has told a story at the beginning, and it's a very different story now. Mm -hmm. But think about the different ways that marriages tell a story. Uh, for some marriages, it's a mystery, and then other Drama. Drama. Horror. Horror. All kinds of things. Mystery, drama, horror. Mm -hmm. And we experienced a lot of that. Yeah, we yeah. experienced drama in our marriage. Tremendously. Yes. We, I did not know how to deal with conflict well, and um, when I would get angry, you know, I would... Um, I would have a slow buildup and then I would just leave. I would just drive around the beltway. And I would be following you and say, honey, where are you going? <laughs> yeah. I know it's drama, but I'm going with you. Yeah. Won't you stand still? Well, let's talk about it. And I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't know how to talk about it, but it was that drama. Then it was it was mystery because I didn't know how to be a man. I didn't know how to be a husband. Mm -hmm. And so I was really, really uh, confused. And so there was tremendous mystery. And if you, you know, I love Jason Bourne and Jason Bourne tore up most of Europe trying to figure out his identity and the Bourne identity. Mm -hmm. And so what, what helped us turn the page? I mean, how did we, how were we able to move from the, the mystery and, um, and because what the, the story that was happening, we had a script, right? We had a script. We had a script. That's and right. So, this is a script right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we had a script of what we thought would fulfill us. And it was it was mystery. It was drama. That it was turned horror. Into, it was horror. It was all yeah. those things because we didn't deal, you know. With conflict I would, really well. Not at all. And I would get so angry that I would I would feel, and I loved you, but I didn't know how to love you. I, I felt like cussing and swinging. And I knew Jesus. I mean, I felt like cussing. I felt like grabbing you like, girl, are you, you know, and then I would just leave because I, did, I knew that wasn't God, but I didn't know what it looked like to be a godly husband. And I, I felt frustrated, so I start to scream a little bit louder and I start to run after you. <laughs> yeah. So my gosh. So so that script. So we so we had a script, script. and every couple mm -hmm. three things happens with the script, right? Blame happens. That's right. Blame, Blame happens. happens. It's like your fault. It's, yeah, and it was always your fault. You know that. <gasps> really? Yeah, it was always your fault. It was always your fault. See, we, we blamed each other. We blamed each other. So there was the blame. It mm -hmm. was the shaming mm -hmm. of each other. And at the core of all this was just the selfishness. And so that's, yes. the script. that's the script. So what helped us and what helps many couples go from the script to the scriptures? Script, the scriptures. Yes. And, and, and here's some of the things that... God has taught us in our 32 years to move from the script, the script. To, to the scriptures. To the scriptures. And uh, one of those things is learning what it means to nurture our hearts with God. Mm -hmm. A verse in God's Word from uh, Mark 8, chapter 8, verse 34. I used to wish this verse was in the Bible because it made me really uncomfortable. And it says this Jesus says this If you desire to come after me, you got to do three things. You got to deny yourself take up your cross and follow me. And I'm thinking, how am I going to be fulfilled doing that? 
And I was scared that if I denied myself and began to really practice what God said, loving you, I was afraid of being controlled by you. Mm. And so I was so confused. And so, but that's what God was saying. You have to first, Johnny, nurture your relationship, Leslie and Johnny, nurture vertically with yeah. God and surrender our agenda because every married couple has an agenda, what they think will fulfill them. Mm -hmm. So we had to learn how to surrender our agenda and nurture vertically, loving God with all of our heart. Because honey, what happens when you began to, when we both began to put each other above God uh, and you began to- Idolatry, you know, idolatry. comes in. Yeah. It's like, I worship you. Yeah. I'm always thinking about you. Mm. And then I put God aside. Right. And right. that's idolatry. That's idolatry. In counseling, they call it codependency, mm -hmm. but it's when we love the, the creature more than the creator. And so we had to learn that God is to be the source of our hearts and we were to be used by God to be resources Sources, to right. each other's hearts. Mm -hmm. So that was a big, big deal. Surrender our agenda and learn to pray. God, may our love for you exceed our love for each other. Because as you just said, honey, that when we love each other above God, we make an idol of each mm -hmm. other and, and we have codependent relationships. And so that was a big game changer of the nurturance, first vertically and then horizontally in terms of um, what are some of the practical things that we do to keep our relationship fresh, nurturing the relationship? Oh, I love when we go walking together. Yeah. We have around here where we live, uh, we have a little trail, so we go walking together. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned, you taught me how to hike. Yes. So hiking has become really fun for me too. And, and have interesting. It, have an adventure. Yes. And we like to go sometimes to the spa, yeah. and I get the manicure, and Johnny will get the pedicure. So we just go together. Yeah. It's yeah. just so much fun and yeah. that bonding. Yeah. You, again, you're telling people that I, I go to the to spa tell, and get pedicure. Because I want you to go with me. It's yeah. so much fun. So, we, so the point is that we have to be intentional, that great marriages happen intentionally, not automatically. And then the other thing was learning how to honor each other. Yes. That, that was a game changer and, and, and learning how to esteem each other highly. Mm -hmm. Because when we would have that, those moments of drama and horror, I, I devalue you. I was bitter. I was resentful. I didn't want to make love. And uh, I, I would I would do silent violence. And it was horrible because I I, I stopped talking. And then what you would do, you would kind of come running and after would, me. I and would want to run talk. after you and want to talk. And yeah. I'm like, why are you doing this? Why you can't talk it out? Yeah. Let's talk it out like right now. And you're like, I don't want to. Yeah. I was I'm a angry. person. I, I want it to be resolved like right away. Right. Right. But it does take a time. It, it does time. take process too. And we had to learn to honor. We went to counseling and that was humbling because I was doing marriage and family counseling. And so we had to go sit with the counselor yeah. and do that work. And so that I had was to very learn. helpful. Exactly. So I had to learn how to honor you. So we've worked with pro athletes. And so we know football is a great analogy here because I, you know, and a wide receiver catches the ball. I wasn't a good wife receiver. Mm -hmm. A wide receiver catches the ball, bring mm -hmm. the ball all the way in. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's doing football. But in marriage, I had to learn how to be a wife receiver and bring you all the way in into my heart. And I was scared to allow you to do that. I didn't want to have to need you. And that sounds mm -hmm. crazy, but I, because then I had to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, but God used and allowed depression and panic attacks that happened in my life that I had to go to you and say, honey, I, I need you to go to the dentist with me. I need you to fly with me because I would have these claustrophobic moments. And so, and I that wanted honor. that 10 minute, 10 minute connector with you yeah. just to sit on the couch for 10 minutes and let me process. You don't really have to say anything. Right. Just let me talk it out. Just get it out. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll tell you if yeah. I want you to, you know, that 
feedback. Right. But just sitting with me and talking with me, it really calmed me down. Right. And I knew that you were interested in what I had to say. So honoring you and learning to hold each other in high value where it became safe for me to allow you in what I call my heart, the backstage. And we, and every, and, and that's the analogy that we use. Every marriage has a front stage or a, a, a work, career, appearance, uh, children, social media, technology, all those things, the front stage, and that has its place, tasks, chores, but you got married for the backstage, right? You got married to allow your spouse into your backstage, lifting up the window shade to your heart and allowing each other to peek in. And so learning how to honor you and, and um, love you where you are and not where I wanted you to be was, was a big game changer in our marriage. And then humility. That's another one. A third one is humility. Learning how to go back to you and to each other and say, honey, I was wrong. And be specific. Because when you get specific, you get terrific. And going back to you and saying, honey, I was wrong the way I spoke to you. I wasn't gentle. Will you forgive me? And even when, even when my brokenness and my sin happened before our three sons, sons, the way I spoke to mommy is not the way God calls a Christian man to speak to his wife. Will you forgive me, guys? And saying that to and you. And that's right. As a spouse, too, I yeah. have to go back to you right. and say, honey, I'm sorry what I did, whatever it was right. that I did. Would you forgive me? Right. And going back to my sons as well and ask them for forgiveness. Yeah. You have children. Your children are going to see your brokenness. You're going to see your imperfections. And the greatest thing we can mm -hmm. do is own that and humble yes. ourselves. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And, and God will lift you up. And so that humility and the humility to go back because we're broken people, imperfect people, but that humility to serve you. And learning how to serve you according to your emotional appetites. Right. And learning how to serve you right. in your emotional appetite as well. And so, because the, the happiest couples are the ones who look to outserve each other mm -hmm. and leave each other better off. And I'm learning, honey, more and more what it means to cherish you mm -hmm. and to really cherish you. Love can sometimes feel like duty, but cherish is delight. Learning how to delight in you, even after 30 second years, because 32 years, because we're so different people now, right? We are. And, um, and so, and, and, and learning, even seeing the power of humility in my parents. You know, you know, the story, my parents divorced when, they, when I was nine years old. And after 36 years of divorce, because of the power of humility, my parents would come to our marriage conferences and events. After 36 years of divorce, my, I was able to remarry my parents because of the power of humility. And so great marriages happen intentionally. Great marriages happen with humility. And so as we close out, you know, we love to say this, that marriage is what? Marriage is hard work. Marriage is hard work. Marriage is heart work. Marriage is heart work. Marriage is worth the work. Marriage is worth the work. And with Christ. 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 You can do the work. You can do the work. How do you keep the sizzle? in your marriage. Let me first of all say, sizzle's a man-made word. Though we can have fun, create good opportunities to have fun, go for it, that's awesome. But remember the bigger picture, okay? 
keep God first, he will put and keep the sizzle in your marriage. If you want to keep the sizzle in your marriage, you got to remember that you don't just date to marry, you marry to date. Like now we're in a season where we want to date our wives. We're in a season where you got to call that babysitter up like I do because I got five kids. You got to call that babysitter up. You got to figure that situation out and, and, and you got to get out and really be GQ with your wife. I mean, you got to, you got to do extra like you did before. Do it again. I'm a firm believer in constant foreplay. Uh, starting at the beginning of the day, the little things that you do for your wife, uh, the little touches, the, the text messages, the encouraging words, the little notes, whatever it is, like that, that creates a lot of sizzle in your relationship. It's also good to change the place, it's good to change the time, it's good to try new things, and it's good to have conversations about your sex life and things that you would like to explore and do together and stuff like that. Like, let's not overthink this. Well, you gotta make each other a priority. And I don't just mean the bedroom. I mean, in in every every way, date one another, spend time talking with each other, connect with one another. And I, I tell you what, if you do that, then uh, there'll be great excitement in the bedroom. <laughs> well, find out what makes your wife raise her eyebrows. Uh, beyond some, some of my fellow brothers, you get married and then you got her, and then you you don't stay in shape. You don't try to win her heart. You don't try to show off in front of her, uh, and you forget the word sexy. So don't you know? Don't stop being romantic and clean the toilet. And aim what you're shooting at. Dang, come on, brush your teeth, son. Hi, PK family. Hello. Kim and I count it a privilege to share with you some stories from our lives that might provide some encouragement and hope for you and your marriage. At the very least, you're going to learn what not to do. <laughs> I must say, I am very grateful that my wife first heard about Promise Keepers in 1993 and informed me of the conference they had coming up. After looking at the speaker lineup, I was sold. I mean, so my buddy and I, we put a tent in the back of his car because we had no lodging. And we drove 13 hours to arrive at PK's first stadium event in Boulder, Colorado. That's dedication right there. Yeah. So little did I know that three years later, I would end up joining Promise Keeper staff and serve there for the next four years. It was a wonderful experience. Now, Kim and I had been married for only a short period of time, and I was committed to my faith. Not perfect, but committed to growing in Christ and making our marriage work as the spiritual leader of our home. And I fully expected us to live one of those fairy tale marriages like as seen on TV. <laughs> and I was the same way. I longed to live that happily ever after kind of life that I had seen in the movies. So for years, I wondered, what if there's somebody out there who could be my Prince Charming? Someone who could dance into my life and sweep me off my feet. And then she met me, Mr. Brumologist. <laughs> Goodness. I mean, we literally met on the dance floor at UCLA, and I had some this sweet moves, y'all. Uh, I don't know if they're just yeah, sweet moves. Yeah, they were. They were real sweet, mm. baby. Mm. Now, now, I just knew that I was going to be that prince charming for Kim and sweep her off her feet. And in fact, I was so confident in myself that I told her during our engagement that I was going to make her the happiest woman in the world, and I believed it. So did I. Well, the first year of our marriage was quite the reality check. I mean, we found ourselves arguing a lot, so much so that I began to second guess our decision to marry. 
And I even have the audacity to question her commitment to our faith. A lot of our heated arguments ended with me storming out the door, slamming it behind me, driving to a parking lot somewhere, staying there for hours, letting her think whatever she wanted to think. Fellas, what I didn't know back then was that my response to our conflicts was only continuing the narrative in her mind that all men were eventually going to abandon her because her father did the same thing when she was a little girl over and over and over again, disappearing for weeks at a time. Clearly, we did not know how to be married. I had assumed that because we were Christians and we had the best intentions, that we would experience instant harmony or at least a lot more harmony than conflict. Yeah, but harmonious, it was not. It was clear that he was questioning my commitment to God. And in our first year of marriage, every single day when he would come home from football practice, he would ask me if I had read my Bible. So pretty soon I began to feel like this child being interrogated by a demanding parent who wanted me to do my homework. So I rebelled. Well, in a passive aggressive sort of way. I was definitely committed to God, and I loved spending time reading his word, but with the way Corwin was acting, I didn't want to give him the satisfaction of seeing me follow through with something that he wanted me to do. I would read my Bible, and then I would put it right back (laughs) in the exact same spot on the table so it would look as if I hadn't touched it. Well, I would soon learn that his care for my spiritual growth was grounded more in his insecurities and his need to control than it was in his desire for the Lord to take control. And it got to a point where he wanted to control what I did, what I said, what I wore, who I spoke to. And I began to feel like I was stuck in this glass cage and no one else could see that I was trapped. There was this appearance of freedom, but I could only take a few steps before I would bump into the walls that he had constructed for me. And you may not believe this, but I didn't fight it at first because I thought I was practicing biblical submission. So I quietly suffered, regretting that I ever said I do. And I wondered what happened to the man who promised me that he would make me the happiest woman in the world. And I got to this very low point. And after 10 years of marriage, I finally told him that I had lost all feelings for him. And I also said that the only reason I was still married to him was because of my commitment to God and the commitment I made before God on our wedding day. So obviously I was very insecure and extremely self-righteous. Now I knew I wasn't Mr. Perfect, but you could not tell me that I wasn't at least Mr. Wonderful. Come on. I mean, to me, Kim, Kim was like this beautiful, delicate rose. And me being the good godly husband, the protector the Bible told me to be, I held her close. I felt that she needed a lot of protection and guidance. It was my job to make sure she was growing in a safe and secure environment. And so I assumed my job, man. After all, I was the one that led her to Christ. I was the one that initiated purity in our relationship when we were dating in college. I was the one that made our spiritual journey a priority early on. It never occurred to me that I was the one that God needed to change the most when it came to our relationship as husband and wife, and that my so-called protection and guidance were smothering the life out of her. So I'm thankful for her commitment to Christ and to our marriage. I'm also thankful for the many resources that exist in the body of Christ to help struggling marriages like ours. And there are a ton of them. And we began this journey, this journey of more purposefully taking advantage of those resources to help heal our marriage. I remember when Kim was really having a hard time 
dealing with some lingering major depression. She had a very emotionally abusive childhood, y'all, that no little girl should ever have to experience. And the wounds she was carrying continued to be reopened in our relationship. For months, maybe even in years, years, I was at a total loss on how to help her. I remember crying out to God in frustration and desperation once again. And one day the Lord so graciously spoke to my heart and said, Corwin, you need to treat her like the little girl she never got to be. But we didn't have daughters. We had two knucklehead boys. So I had to guess at this. So I told her her hair is pretty all the, all the time. I bought her balloons and chocolate and wrote her little notes. And, and then one day I was listening to, listening to Christian radio. And this guy said that when he sees his wife every morning, he starts by saying, boy, my day can begin now. So I thought, hey, I'll say that too. <laughs> now, y'all, the first time I said that to my wife, by the way, she looked at me and she said, what book have you been reading? Yes, exactly. Just like that. So I ignored her and I just kept pouring on the love and the nurturing. And after a few months of doing that, I remember one morning she came out of the bedroom. I was downstairs on the couch and I saw her. And just like always, I said, boy, my day can begin now. Y'all, this huge smile came across her face and she ran down the stairs and jumped into my lap just like a little girl. So I am very thankful for ministries like Promise Keepers and all the other resources that are readily available to men like me, because by the grace and mercy of God, all of them were extremely helpful in turning a poor marriage into a thriving marriage of now 29 years. And if there's one thing that we can leave with you in addition to a bit of our story, it would be an encouragement for you to become experts at forgiving each other. Yeah. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiven one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. A couple of years ago, I was working out and my knee popped. So I did what I was trained to do as an elite gymnast, which was push through the pain. But by the end of my workout, my knee was so swollen and I couldn't put any weight on it. So I went to the doctor and he told me that I had arthritis that was like a smoldering fire. And the power lunges I was doing was like pouring gasoline on it, which caused this fiery explosion to take place in my knee. Well, prolonged unforgiveness is like that smoldering fire that doesn't go away. And all it takes is a little comment, a small misunderstanding, or even something that just triggers a memory and that flame is ignited. And the excruciating pain is felt all over again, which causes your relationship to just limp along. Mm. Now you're in survival mode. Now you're just existing together. Now you're wearing a mask in public. And some of you have gotten so used to it that that mask stays on almost all the time. Maybe you're watching us right now and you feel like I felt a long time ago. Not only are you wearing a mask in public, but... You're now wearing a mask even with your spouse and you haven't been honest with how you feel or perhaps you're struggling to forgive and your spouse has no clue. If this is you, it may seem like your silence is keeping the peace, but what is really going on, mm. it's feeding the bitterness. And if it hasn't already, eventually it'll tear your marriage apart. Uh, I think we struggle with forgiveness because we think that forgiveness is an emotion or a feeling only. And it's not. I mean, we can't fathom ourselves ever being okay with the hurt our spouse caused us. But forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision. 
It is not forgetting, but it is refusing to hold the other person hostage until the debt they owe you is somehow repaid. And since forgiveness is the most Christ-like thing a person can do, instead of looking at forgiveness as a burden that you've got to bear, try looking at, try looking at it as an opportunity. Because it really is an opportunity to be a vessel the Father uses to express his unconditional love for your spouse. And it's an opportunity for you to become a little more like Jesus Christ, his son. So bottom line, a healthy marriage will always be worth the work that you put into it. And I want to pray for you. We want to pray for you now. Father, thank you, Father, for the men and women on this call. Thank you for how much you love them, how much you love their relationship, and how much you want them to win, not just survive, but to thrive. We pray, dear God, that you would protect strengthen, heal, guard hearts, and let these marriages thrive in this day and age where marriages, weddings, marriages are being attacked over and over. So we pray a covering over their lives, their God. And we pray that they would experience greater intimacy with you and greater intimacy with each other as well. In the days ahead, let your light so shine through husbands and wives that the world will know that you sent Jesus Christ and give their lives to him as a result. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. We are your marriage coaches, and I am so chanced to introduce you to Barb. Barb, it has been a great program Oh, today. Gary, it's been tremendous teaching and marriage coaching. We've had some of the best teachers ever. We sure. And now Dan Seaborn kicked it off. And I tell you, he talked about marriage on purpose and what a great job that Dan did talking about not necessarily finding your soulmate, but finding your helpmate and growing. Now, baby, you're my soulmate and my helpmate, so I got both, but great job from Dan. Oh, wonderful job. And Dr. Johnny and Leslyn Parker, yeah. they really did a beautiful job sharing their insight into nurturing and cherishing one another in marriage. And then when Johnny opened up and shared about his mom and dad divorcing at the age of nine years old and getting remarried 36 years yeah. later, by Johnny because of his teaching. 
This is really showing us that there's always miracles in marriage when we press in. And then Corwin and Kim Anthony. I mean, do we want to take them home? Oh, they were tremendous. Oh, they were phenomenal. This is an NFL football player. So, you know, this is a man's man. And I love the way he talked about, you know, bringing that testosterone, that strong uh, aspect of who he was, but how God broke him. And he really sought his precious bride's forgiveness. And they moved beyond that and really grew uh, with harmony. And he coached us on harmony. And so we love both. Uh, Corwin and Kim. I mean, great job with those two. Wonderful couple, Gary. (laughs) You know, we're talking about marriage. And if you want a good marriage, I suppose you could spend about 10 minutes a day on it. But nobody wants a good marriage. We want a great marriage, don't we? We do want a great marriage. In fact, we want to go to the Word of God to help you identify what's going to be our foundation for the next few minutes. In 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And you know what, Barb? We as husbands need to be considerate of our precious brides and wives. You know, we want you to connect with us and so that we can walk through this together and have those prayers uh, listened to and answered by a holy God. And we're gonna coach you on how to do that. Now, some of you grew up in homes where you had a mom and dad model how to have a great marriage, but many didn't. And so we're gonna show you some stuff that we've learned. Um, and moving from 10 minutes a day, what we're gonna show you is what if you took 25 minutes and 36 seconds a day to have a great marriage? Well, a couple that we were coaching years ago came back to us after five or six sessions and said, you know what, we counted it up. It's 25 minutes and 36 seconds with all the stuff you taught us. So can we have a great marriage if we do that? And we thought. Yeah, baby. So let's give this thing a shot. Now, the first minute is when a husband is coming home at the end of the day, a wife's coming home at the end of the day. They've been at school or at work or shopping or whatever they're doing. We want you to identify a telephone pole at the halfway mark from returning from wherever it is that you go during the day. When you get to that telephone pole, we want you to turn off your technology, turn off the radio, and we want you to pray and begin to anticipate engaging your family, so that you're mindful when you re-enter your home. So you said one minute. One minute. I'd like to add 90 seconds. It's the first 90 seconds that you enter the home, you or your spouse, that you welcome one another. You set your technology aside. You touch each other. You turn to one another. You might kiss one another. You know, oftentimes, Gary, it's that kiss that causes us to Get the closure for a bid for connection. What you do is you live mindfully in the space. You're keeping your head where your feet are and you're joining your spouse in making a moment that sets the tone for the rest of the night. And then you identify 20 minutes where you can sit in two chairs and connect. Now that may be after dinner, it may be just before bed, it may be in the morning. Um, You wanna get rid of the kids, so we love our kids, but they're not invited. And it's 20 minutes where a husband and a wife connect. And you know, when you're in those two chairs, we used to tell our kids, don't forget the three Bs. You might wanna write that down. The three Bs are this, unless you're bleeding, broken, or bruised, (laughs) your conversation with mom and dad can wait until dinner time. And we'll take plenty of time to talk about the highs and lows of your day. But for now, when we're in these two chairs, We lean into one another. We are curious about one another. 
we're asking questions, but we're joining in and, and seeking to understand through listening skills, maybe by summarizing and then asking more questions hmm. of connection. Because what happens, it leads to a sense of transparency yeah. and connection as we learn about one another, as we listen to one another, and as we join with one another at the end of the day. So in that transparency, we move then from our head down to our heart. And that's where we move from transparency to vulnerability, where we access the other person's heart. And Barb, we've got an exercise that we use. And um, you might pick up something like this in order to sharpen your marriage connection in your two chairs. Well, it's interesting you put your hand out because sometimes there are very delicate hard mm -hmm. issues that come up for your spouse. And so I will use this soapstone heart in our marriage where we can really get one another's attention that what we're gonna deal with is a tender topic, a fragile topic. Maybe we need to be more delicate as we're listening. So if I say, Gary, you have my heart, you're holding my yeah, heart. heart. I, I need you to really listen and join at a deeper level with me yeah. as I unpack something I went through today. In the same way- Yeah, I may I, put my heart into your hands, Barb, and say, you know what, Barb, there's some insecurity, or there's some anxiety, or I've gone through a tough time, and, and we've gone through those tough times where I need you to engage me and let me be vulnerable as you hold my heart. What's amazing is that when you understand yeah. the uh, value, the weight of what you're listening to, when your spouse is unpacking for you what's laying heavily on their heart, we listen, we're silent. And in fact, I'd like to encourage you that when your spouse is more silent, we have to really listen through the emotions of our heart so that we can understand what it is that they've gone through and join them in this connection. And one of the skills that we have taught a lot of people is the skill of empathy. And that is something that is really necessary when we're doing this, Barb. Um, there are four parts to empathy. Uh, the first part is perspective taking of the other. So it'd be like if I got up and walked behind Barb and looked this way, because that would be her perspective. She is seeing something differently than I am seeing. So when you're building empathy, you want to see their perspective. Number two, you want to withhold judgment of their perspective. So this isn't a time to become critical. Third, you want to help your spouse identify what they are feeling emotionally. And then this is money, number four. Connected to an emotion that you're experiencing. That's what builds empathy in a marriage relationship. Very important keys to treasure empathy yeah. as we connect with one another. Then we want to give you another number. It's the number three. Three minutes of conversational prayer every day. It will change the power in your marriage. But we're not going to share it right now. We're going to share it with you in a later session towards the end of the summit. So don't go away. Yeah, we want you to stick around for that. And then what's the six seconds? Because some of you are writing it down. You've got your calculator out. It's called the six-second kiss. And Barb, we have taught this all over the world. We've taught it with wounded warriors and with military families and first responders and Africa and Asia and Central America. It's very simple. That at least once a day, for six seconds, we want you to kiss your spouse. Now, we can't see you. You can see us. But we're going to count to six while you do that right now. So guys, turn to your bride, and we're going to count out loud and lock some lips for the next six seconds. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, 
six. <laughs> Barb, there's that one guy, he's still going at it, I can tell. Now, yeah, now you're laughing, you know why? Because little endorphins are running all over the place. It's awesome. Because what you're doing is you're connecting. And if your kids walk in and see you doing that, they're going to go, ooh, what was that? But they're going to love it. So 25 minutes and 36 seconds a day. Barb, do you think they can do it? Oh, you can do this. <laughs> so welcome to the journey towards a great marriage. And we are so grateful that you've joined us. Good marriages are conflict-free. <laughs> I hope not, because it's the conflict and the challenges that makes us deeper. I think about the story of Mary and the angel coming and saying, you're highly favored. Really? Really? I'm going to have to raise this child in some conflicting times. I'm going to watch the incredible death of my son on a cross. I'm highly favored. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe in your marriage, the challenge and things you're going through, it's because God highly favors you. He wants to deepen you, make you more like Him. Put that perspective on it, and you'll get through that myth in a much more positive way. Yeah, conflict is a good thing. There's a right way to navigate conflict, and there's a wrong way to navigate conflict. Conflict pushes us outside our comfort zones. It introduces us to new perspectives and ideas, so it's a good thing. The key is to fight fair. Uh, that's why we have passages in the scripture where it talks about being peacemakers. Well, if you're going to be a peacemaker, it assumes there's not peace already there. It talks about how to resolve our issues. It talks about not letting your son go down your anger. That assumes we're going to be angry at times, but know how to be able to actually resolve it in a godly way. And so we always have to remember that we're on the same team. Like my wife will tell me all the time, Jonathan, let's slow down for a second. We're on the same team. Let's work together to get across this goal line. And when we look at our wives, we need to see her uh, with a righteous intent. She may have a different way of doing it, a different way of communicating it, but we need to look at her through the lens of she has a righteous intent and not making her a villain just because she has a different thought. And so conflict is a part of a good marriage. It just takes good people to have good conflict in a good marriage. And I'll tell you, conflict doesn't mean it's bad either, because, uh, you know, life is about conflict. So I would just say, when you do have conflict, work through it. Conflict free. Marrying Dave Wilson was the most exciting thing I could even imagine. I just had these pictures in my head of what Dave was going to be like. He's the hottest, most godly. He's going to lead me spiritually. It was the most anticipated thing of my life to marry him. I was married 10 years, and then we started embarking on the dream of our life, which was starting this church. We just had this vision of wanting God to do something great in terms of reaching people. Couldn't believe that God would use us to reach thousands for Christ, and it was an absolute dream come true. The dream started to become a reality, but it was becoming a very difficult reality. I basically got two or three jobs going all at the same time, trying to be a dad, trying to be a husband, trying to live my dream of starting, help starting this church. He was gone more and more and more. I'm at the same time the Detroit Lions chaplain, so I'm leading Bible studies, I'm on the road with the team. And I would say things like, honey, you've got to be here. Like, the boys are growing up, I need you. The boys need you. I'm longing to spend time with you. And he's like, oh, I know. I thought I was doing great as a husband, as a dad. I preach this stuff. I know 
you know, what the Bible says about marriage. And I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm living it pretty good. And we've got a pretty good marriage. I would put my marriage up against anybody's. He would walk out the door and I'd be like, wait, you're leaving again tonight? And he'd be like, yeah, don't you remember I had this meeting and then I have to go here and I have to speak to these people? And I'd be like, whatever. Great, you know what? I'll put the boys to bed by myself again. That's great, honey. See ya. I would have said to you on a scale of one to 10, my marriage is probably a 10. If not a 10, it's a 9.8. And I guarantee you my wife would agree. And I would have probably said we're a one, maybe like a 0.5. Um, and I think he was totally clueless to that, which then that made me even more angry because I'm thinking, how do you not know how bad we're doing? On May 24th, 1990, it was our 10 year anniversary and I sort of surprised Ann with a 10 year anniversary date. We dressed up, went to a really nice restaurant and I sort of set it up with the waiter while we were having dinner when I would cue him, just sort of give him a look, he was supposed to bring a rose over. And so I cued him early in the dinner and he brought over a rose and laid it on the table and we talked about year one. He was like a little boy that night, like waiting for the next thing to happen. And I looked over later and he brought another rose. So anyway, every rose was a year and we would talk about that year. He was so sweet. He even planned what he was going to say when each rose arrived. On the way home, I thought it'd be pretty cool to uh, park in the parking lot where we were about to start our church. And Ann hadn't even seen this. So I thought it'd be pretty cool to park there, maybe pray about what God could possibly do. And to be totally honest with you, I thought we should just park. I know Dave Wilson. I knew that there was like this ulterior motive where it was like, yeah, we're going to park here. And, you know, he's all about the parking part. And so um, I kind of knew that was coming. So I leaned over to kiss Ann. And uh, as I, you know, lean over to kiss her in the passenger seat, she sort of pulls away. Ugh. I just was like, I can't even, honey, I, I, in my head, I was thinking, I cannot even go there. So I pull back and I look at her and I say, is something wrong? She looks at me, I'll never forget this, and she goes, well, yeah, there is something wrong. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she says, well, to be honest with you, I've lost my feelings for you. Dave, I really have lost my feelings for you. I'm sitting there stunned, like, what? I knew that that killed him. And I was at a point where I didn't even know what else to say to him. And so when he asked me to tell him what I meant by that, I just said, I feel like you're never home. I feel like you're not engaged with me. I feel like you're not engaged with the boys. I immediately went defensive. I was like, I'm going to reach in the back seat, pull out my little day, day planner, my calendar, and prove to her she's wrong. I have been home. I can show you. And right as I was turning like this, I sensed the Spirit of God. Don't grab that planner. Don't say a word. Listen. Just shut up and listen. And so I shared with him how at first I was really angry. And then I was really bitter. And then my bitterness turned to resentment. And then after a while, I didn't even care that he was gone. I again sensed from God's spirit to my spirit, one word, 
and the word was repent. All of a sudden, he's like, honey, I just have to do something first. And I'm thinking, do something? What, well, you're going to go somewhere? You're gonna, what are you going to do? God was saying, if you want to get this right, this horizontal husband-wife relationship right, this needs to be right, the vertical relationship between God and myself. And so he, you should have seen this. He turns around in our Honda, and he's on, I don't even know how he did it. He's on his knees on the floor of this Honda with the steering wheel in his back. And um, he starts to pray out loud. God, I repent. I'm too busy. I'm lukewarm. I know what you think of lukewarm uh, Christians, and I want to be right with you. And I repent of my sin. And I want to be the husband, and I want to be the dad you called me to be, to be, the dad that I preach, the dad that I know, and the husband I know what the Word says, and I'm not living it. I'm saying it, but I'm not doing it. I'm a hypocrite. And I don't want to be a hypocrite anymore. I want to love her like she deserves, and I want to love my kids like they deserve. And I'm not doing it. And I ask you to give me the power to be the man you called me to be. The amazing thing is when I saw him do that, um, it, oh, it just broke my heart. God was saying to me, Ann Wilson, you have been trying to get your happiness for the last six months from your husband. And I never made him, I never equipped him to fill all your needs. I am the only one who can meet all of your needs. And that thought alone spurred me on to get on my knees. And for me, it was a moment of repentance too. As we prayed on our 10 year anniversary and sort of resubmitted our marriage back to Christ, as, as, as I'm sitting here 20 years later, I can tell you that moment changed our marriage. It did, it really did. It was like, if, if this is gonna work, this has to be in place. That night became a moment of spiritual awakening for both of us. It was a night of rededicating our hearts to God, our hearts to Jesus, and rededicating our marriage to Him and asking Him to come in to heal us, to give us wisdom to know how to go on from here and really to change our hearts. And He did that. Hello friends, my name is Brian Chu and my incredible wife, Melissa. We're so happy to be here with you today. And we've been married 17 years, but we wanna share a very pivotal time in our marriage where we started to slowly drift apart in our marriage. Yeah, and I think what we experienced was something common that a lot of couples fall into. It's the trap of just going through the motions and living in the present without forward thinking. And as a result, just trying to survive the day. And so let me paint the picture for us. 
at the time we had three small kids at home, three, five, and seven. So right there, you know, there's a little bit of crazy town. I was pursuing a lucrative real estate business and as a result, to help supplement that, we had hired a nanny to help with the kids while I was working. Brian was in his formative years of the initial set of our ministry, therefore he was working more than ever and traveling overseas often and always. And so a common scene in our house was Brian was gone, I'm working and I'm at my computer and the kids are tugging on my leg and I'm just shushing them away. Not now, give me five more minutes. And the Lord reminded me of something that I said to our nanny. I was kidding in the moment, but you know there's always a little bit of truth when you kid. And I said to her, you are raising our kids better than I am. And it wasn't until months later when we took a pause to reflect on our marriage where the Lord reminded me of that and rebuked me and said, I did not give those kids to your nanny to raise. I gave them to you and Brian to raise. And so he started to download a glimpse of where we were headed. And that was, yeah, I was pretty successful at real estate. I was making a lot of money and Brian's ministry had taken off and he was traveling more than ever. But you know what that looked like? two totally separate lives in two worlds apart. So I think where God got my attention was, I started to complain about you, I started to complain about the kids, and I internalized, and what most men do, I didn't communicate, and I remember God got my attention, and he said, the problem is not with you and the kids, the problem is with me. So I repented very quickly, and I came home, and I told you, I said, Melissa, we need to talk. I said, God's got my attention. I've not been the husband and the father I'm supposed to be. And that started our dialogue and start setting us back on the right path. Yeah, and let me just pause there for a moment. Here's the thing that's so deceiving. To outsiders, our life looked great. And even to us, if you had asked us, our life looked great. Because here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with the wife working. It's not a problem to hire outside help with the kids, and there's certainly nothing wrong with a man pursuing his passion and his purpose. All of those things are good things. They're not bad. But for us, without the direction and knowing where we were headed, it was not what God intended for us, and we were traveling two different paths. This is the power of the pause knowing where your destination is, and then establishing the things that you need to do to propel you towards that destination. So let me just circle back and what this whole aha moment meant for our family. I quit my job, I fired the nanny, and I joined forces with Brian full-time in ministry, back to our first love, back to our purpose and calling together as a couple. And so here's the deal. That was pretty drastic. It doesn't have to be that drastic for you. If you stop, if you pause, if you establish your destination and then check in and course correct as often as you need to, if you're doing that often, those corrections become minor little tweaks. They don't have to be major and drastic like they were for us. But the point is, to stay on track and to shift your marriage from simply surviving to thriving because that's what God wants for you. So I'm so thankful that God got our attention and we started to communicate, we sought wise counsel and God helped put us back on the right path. And if he did it for us, he can do it for you as well. What's my best advice for newlyweds is simply this, have realistic expectations. Don't go into marriage thinking, 
I found the one. No, go into marriage saying, I'm gonna be the one and I'm gonna seek to grow as one. Understand this, my dad taught me this. You do not date to marry, you marry to date. And men forget that. We'll do all the stuff, I mean, we'll pull out all the stops to try to get her, but we won't do anything once we have her. We say this about God all the time. If he did it before, he can do it again. Um, your wife is thinking the same thing about you. If he did it before, why isn't he doing it again? My best advice for newlyweds is to pray together every single night before you go to sleep to pray with one another, go to God together, and to honor God's word. Read the word of God together. Praying together, reading God's word together has a way of calibrating the relationship. Man, I would say 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, y'all. That is the key uh, to love. It's the first attribute of love. In a way, it's the last attribute of love in 1 Corinthians. And you learn patience and you can navigate anything in marriage. You know what? I'd like to be funny and jokey, but this isn't. If you're going to get married, all I'm going to tell you is what worked for me, and it's two things. Number one, and it's going to be obvious, God has to be number one. Not in your marriage, even though, of course, that's true, but what I mean is to you. Secondly, you need to tell each other divorce is not an option, okay? If you make that the case, then every time the difficulty comes that normally would have broken you up and you say, you know what, we gotta work through this. This is the way where we're really gonna start seeing what our character is or isn't and how we're gonna get better. This is the time. Divorce is not an option. I actually give my wife consistently a massage every morning before her feet hit the ground, before she gets out of bed. There's, there's a beauty in doing what's right starting off the day the right way. So find yours. We have been learning a ton at this Promise Keepers Marriage Summit. Dave and Ann Wilson, didn't you love his story? Uh, when Dave's heart was broken and contrite, which led to repentance and then connection in their marriage, every one of us were touched. Yeah, they did a great job. And then Brian and Melissa Chu, uh, we love them as well, yes, Barb. And we so asked good. them to kind of expand beyond marriage and do at least one message on parenting. So they really filled the bill for that as they talked about the family compass. So we hope that there's great takeaways there for you. Now, you've heard a lot of different speakers, and we want you to continue to stay teachable as we speak into this last area of spiritual connection, because we believe that God's got something for you. But we want you to be turning to each other and saying, how can I encourage you as my spouse? And what can we do to sharpen our serve in our marriage? Well, you would probably say we're going to land the plane. <laughs> but this is the heart of a godly marriage. This is truly spiritual connection. And we're going to unpack truly things that are going to change your life and change your marriage. You know, Barb, uh, when these couples got married, when we got married, there's probably some pastor that said you ought to pray together. Uh, every day. I think we heard that. Yes, we did. It sounded like a very good idea, but we got in trouble because we did not do our homework. And uh, we found out very quickly that you're supposed to do your homework. And, pre and we didn't know how to pray together. I mean, it seemed like a great idea, but you know what? Sometimes it was just kind of difficult for us to do it because we didn't know how to do it. Uh, sometimes we as guys, and I know we went through this part, uh, you were spiritually far more godly and, and more diligent in studying the Bible and going to prayer groups and stuff. And, and I thought I could never catch up. I could never lead you. 
And so sometimes that creates an insecurity for us as guys. Well, sometimes it's the pace, it's the pressure, it's doing the next thing mm -hmm. and family. So it gets in the way and intrudes a couple so that they aren't praying together. Yeah, and we know that the enemy goes after us. You know, here's what Barb and I have learned, is that marriage is not lived on some romantic balcony somewhere. Now we all have those high points and uh, you know great vacations or date nights or wonderful times. That's awesome, but you know what? Much of marriage is just hard, and sometimes it's mundane, and sometimes it just gets uh, under the gun with all the pressures that we have. So we've got to realize that marriage is lived out on a battlefield, and it's a spiritual battlefield. And the enemy wants to destroy us, and the culture wants to dissipate everything that God's trying to do in our marriages, and so it's hard. But you know what, Barb, we learned to pray together. And I remember the first time we prayed together. You do remember. Yeah. Because I was a brand new Christ follower. Wow. And we went to a Bible study. And I remember you said, I'm never going back there again. And I said, why? And you said they prayed out loud. Yeah, it was crazy. It was, it was terrifying. Yeah, it scared me to death. And so I asked you, would you pray with me? And, and, and I was nervous and I was sweaty palmed. And, and I remember I took your hand and I closed my eyes and I just said, dear God, I want to know you like Barb knows you. And then I opened my eye and you had a little tear and leaned you over did. and you gave me a kiss. <laughs> and I thought, pray, kiss, pray, kiss. And I thought, I think I'm going to be a prayer warrior or something, Barb. Let's go to that prayer warrior conference or something sometime. Oh. Now, we laugh about that today. But, but here's what we know, we broke through. We did. And prayer is so foundational in marriage. And so we're gonna get through this seminar and we're gonna coach you on how to do exactly that. Well, prayer, uh, you know, you can be on automatic pilot and it's just not gonna work, you guys. With prayer, you need to be intentional. It is far more normal yeah. for us right now. And so what we wanna share with you are two areas that we really pray will break through your prayer life. Right, Gary? Well, the first one is to pray over the marriage bed. And in Hebrews 13, 4, here's what we read. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. And so years ago, when we were doing a lot of global travel, uh, Barb would ask the pastor to put a bed up on the platform. We did this through Central America and Asia and Africa and all throughout Canada and all over the US. And Barb, sometimes they kind of freak out. Why do you want a, a bed up on the platform? And we would say, because Barb is going to model how to pray over the marriage bed. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna break away for a minute and we're gonna put you into the room at one of these events and let you see what it was like when Barb would do just that. Let's watch this brief video. Someone once explained to me beautifully, it's just this easy. Do you want to electrocute Satan? Do you want him to run? Well, he cannot coexist with the name of Jesus. So when you say it out loud, he hears you. He cannot read your mind. But when you say the name of Jesus out loud, he runs. It was because of the blood of Jesus that the Lord gave us eternal life. It was a beautiful divine uh, transition of our sin for his, his life. So when we say the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, or the word of God over our bed, and we say it out loud in, on behalf of the one, our beloved, our husband or our wife. Now I do this when I make the bed and I'm gonna throw in a fourth one that's absolutely one that will break the enemy's back. Satan cannot coexist with praise. Jesus 
I thank you for the man that is laying in this bed. I thank you for Gary Rosberg. But between me and you, Lord, I've got some things I've got to pray about. So, Lord, will you guard his mind? Would you speak into his mind because he's got truly the helmet of salvation? God, would you, would you give him the belt of truth? Would you desire that this man hunger for you, God? And I ask that he experience just enough of life and just enough of suffering that he would run to you, Jesus. And he would find true food for his soul. In Jesus' name, I pray, God, that you would give this man knees that would be quick to run and kneel at the altar of the cross and throw himself at you when the bottom of life has gone out from under him. Lord, be with this man. He is in daily wars and battles. And will you give him feet that are quick to run and spread the good news of Jesus? That's how I pray for my husband each time I make the bed. But there's more. There's more I get down on my knees about. And I pray over my husband. And I tell the Lord what is on my heart. And I share those needs. And I hold nothing back. And I'm raw. And I'm real. And I'm authentic with the battles that we face. And if we face them, then you will face them. You know, Barb, um, rarely does a man move a muscle when you model that. And one of the things I know you said in some of those cities is you would take my pillow and you would say about praying for holy delete. Oh yes, holy delete over every uh, woman that you saw or perhaps a seductive voice, yeah. or anything that got in your brain. I just ask for the Lord to purify your thoughts, purify you as a man, so that I would have all parts of you behind those locked doors. And you know what, Barb, what I love about the way you do that is that there's no shame, there's no blame, you're not talking negatively to the men. Uh, you're just modeling what a husband and a wife can do. And we want to encourage every couple watching this, to go pray over that marriage bed. You know, some of you will even anoint it with oil. We've heard those stories. And, but just follow what Barb does. You know, we said this in one city, and the guy said, you mean you're supposed to make the bed? And we kind of laughed about that. <laughs> but Barb, there are times, including this morning, where we each, you know, work together in making that bed. Mm -hmm. And it's a great opportunity to pray together. It is. And take back that marriage bed. Take back the sanctity of that. And then the second area that we want to coach you on praying together is what we promised you earlier in this program, and it's called conversational prayer. And we love this. And so we learned this years ago. I was going to say, take your beloved's hand yeah. and move a little closer. Yeah, baby. And let's talk about the power of praying outside the bedroom. Yeah, so it's called conversational prayer. Now, here's what it's not. It's not preaching a three-point sermon and taking an offering and and wives, it's not you praying and saying, dear God, please encourage my husband to buy me that new dress. So it's not a setup. But what it is, it's just sentence prayers where we go back and forth and we just dig in a little bit deeper to the connection. And we think you can do this. We're going to show you what it looks like. Father, I thank you for Barbie and for almost 46 years of marriage. We have blinked and here we are. And thank you, God, that you are truly the source of all strength, all hope, um, all power in our marriage. 
And God, we're so grateful that these precious couples would saddle up with these communicators, and we've had a small part in this, to just show them and model and encourage and remind them that you're not done with them. We thank you for every couple that has spoken into our lives, and we pray for every couple that is learning, taking notes, praying. Lord God, we pray for every man, every woman, and we pray for every child that's represented in these couples' lives. And God, thank you for Promise Keepers taking the lead and setting up this opportunity to really coach and encourage families. We are so grateful for G- Promise Keepers. Yes, we are. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And then you might go for that six-second kiss, <laughs> which I think would be kind of fun as well. You know what? That's spiritual foundation of a great marriage, and we do that through prayer and joining together. God's blessings to you. I'll be back in a few minutes with some closing remarks. Guys, we talk about the five P's at Promise Keepers all the time. Our job as men is to provide for, protect, play with, plan with, and promote our families. For your wife, she needs to be watered with your encouragement, with your words of praise. It's our job, my job for my wife is to look into her future, pray for her, and then water her with with things that just bless her, such as telling her how amazing she is what a great job she's doing. So here's a tip that I do all the time. It's really simple. This is an old standard, but you gotta do it differently, guys. Flowers are awesome, but don't just buy a thing of flowers and go set it on the table. You gotta make it for her. So guys, see the price? Take it off. You don't leave the price on the thing of flowers. In fact, you should probably just take this whole thing off, snip it at the bottom at an angle, one by one, and then see this little packet here? That's to keep it fresh. Don't leave that on the counter. She'll think you're a bozo. And do it for no reason. That's the key. Don't just do it after a fight or because you got some birthday or a celebration. Just buy her flowers. That's today's challenge. Buy her flowers. Set them somewhere where she'll enjoy them. I assure you, it'll bless her. Welcome back. Uh, Again, I'm Gary Rosberg. It has been an absolute delight for Barb and I to saddle up with these communicators, to come alongside Promise Keepers, lift up your arms, and to speak into your hearts. And I pray that this virtual marriage conference has ministered to you and encouraged you along the way. Now, I want to encourage you on a couple different things. Each of us needs to do a bit of a heart check. Review your takeaways and just as a husband and wife turn to each other and say, what is one main thing that we can work on over the next several days and weeks? And then maybe a second theme, and you may even push for a third theme. But go ahead and just try to look at what can we do. Now, we pray that you've learned some stuff and that you've had a teachable heart throughout this. But if you don't go to the next steps, you're going to kind of fall off. And we don't want you to do that. We want you to continue to move forward. Now, often when people come into marriage coaching with us or others that you've heard from today, they expect that there will be a 180 degree change at the end of that coaching or at the end of that conference. And we know we can't do that. But we have some friends that talk about vector changes. They're two degree changes. That means if you just make two degree shifts a little bit at a time, over time, you're gonna experience some exponential growth. So we want you to look at what are those two degree changes that you can make in order to enhance your marriage. Also, I wanna remind you, don't try to do this alone. 
Christianity is a team sport, always has been, always will be. We need one another. So a couple things you can do, stick close to Promise Keepers. This PK app is continued to be built upon. You're gonna hear from more and more of our uh, team with Promise Keepers, we'll be coaching you. I'm gonna do a series on resolving conflict and forgiveness you can look forward to. But a lot of the speakers you heard from today and others are gonna be joining uh, that movement in order to continue to speak into you. So stick close to that app. Secondly, get geared up for this July in Dallas at AT&T Stadium. And Promise Keepers, Lord willing, pandemic minimized, we're all gonna be gathering down there to coach you, to love on you, and to gather up once again in that arena. And so please consider uh, making the trip to Dallas this summer of 2021. And then third, saddle up with some other guys. Um, allow other guys close to you, guys that aren't impressed with you, guys that care about you, so that you can build accountability and intimacy. You know, you guys, the enemy likes to isolate us, but what Jesus wants to do is draw us into community. So build that community. Allow God to meet you in that. Now, here's another thing I want you to consider. When Barb and I do coaching or we're helping a couple, often we tell them that the first 30 seconds after we wrap up that encouragement is the most strategic and the most difficult time for them. Because if they roll their eyes, if they just jump on their phones, if they just go yell at the kids or pull away from each other, they will lose a bit of the benefit that all of this has given to them. So be very sensitive when we wrap up this conference in a few minutes. Now, next thing I want you to do is I want you to turn to your spouse, guys. And one more time, I want you to give your wife a six second kiss. All right, now nobody's watching, but I'm gonna count to six. Guys, turn to your babe. Ready? One peanut butter, two peanut butter, three peanut butter, four peanut butter, five peanut butter, six peanut butter. Okay, break away. Hey, 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 I said break away. <laughs> we love that six second kiss, and we pray that that encourages you. Guys, we're cheering you on, we believe in you. Let me pray, and then we'll wrap up. Father, thank you for these couples. Thanks for PK. Thanks for the incredible opportunity to join together to strengthen marriages and families for the cause of Christ. Help us take the next steps to strengthen our homes. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Folks, guard your hearts and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today for this special presentation of the Promise Keepers Couples Marriage Session. This event is part of the Promise Keepers Marriage Challenge. The challenge is a three-week experience meant to build habits and practices to renew your marriage for life. Learn more at promisekeepers.org marriage. Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison.
This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.